Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is In Liberty and Health, and I'm very, very thrilled for this conversation today. Um, These gentlemen had just aired the podcast that I did with them a while back, and they complimented me on my backlighting. I know it's absolutely fantastic. So where you're looking at the wonderful backlighting, um, there's a huge sale going on in Tiger Fitness, probably by the time that you're hearing this, or maybe in the very, very near future. So keep your an eye on that and hit the links below to get all those wonderful supplements there and go to lmnt.com wrong way right there and get the uh, world's best electrolytes and also fox sun's coffee so i know i'm throwing a lot of stuff at you here um we're going to talk about the revival your second story and all that kind of stuff um i really enjoyed talking to these guys before so i'm sure this could be a very very fruitful conversation so i won't keep you guys too long in this portion of the show without further ado let's go what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Corey and Josh, how are you guys doing today? Great, man. Good, buddy. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's an honor to have you guys here. I thought we had a, a really, really cool conversation when I was on you guys' show. I can't even remember how long ago that was now, but um, you know, the show just aired. But um, you know, I, I was listening to it. And I'm like, man, these guys like the the intro, the flow, and everything. You guys really know what you're doing. You you almost could uh, make a I don't want to say a professional here, but this kind of guy blush. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. Corey does, so Corey <laughs> makes the show look great. I just I just show up and ruin the show pretty much (laughs) (laughs) i i'd like to agree with them but to be honest with you josh is actually the uh he's kind of the backbone of the show he he gets our guests for the most part he's the best interviewer i just kind of sit back and i wait until he's asked a good question then i'll Hmm. i'll jump in and do a follow-up you know Uh, okay I, I totally thought you were going to say, I'll, I'll jump in and ruin it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true too. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> it's nice, nice to hear that I'm the backbone, considering that I barely have one. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Fucked up and, hips, and, too. Yeah, I, I do have mangled hips as well, so, yeah. Right, listen, um, I was squatting a couple weeks ago. Actually, it's like a couple months ago now. And I remember I got like this real sharp pain in my hip. I never experienced it before. And it freaked me the fuck out. But um, thankfully, I haven't felt it since. But, uh, you know, um, so I guess let's start with uh, first things first. Corey, since it's your first time on the show, maybe um, give a little bit of an introduction about how you and Josh met and then how you guys decided to kind of do this show and perhaps some of the theme. Yeah. 
So uh, Josh and I actually met in film school back in, it's going to date us, Josh, but back in uh, 2005. So um, yeah, so we've been, we've been friends a long time. I think we were quick friends actually. Um, Pretty sure Josh, you were the first person I talked to there. And uh, yeah, we just, we just became quick friends. We've, we both kind of bonded over uh, movies, but then also we're both storytellers. Just that's that's our thing. We're storytellers. I, I'm a video producer, so I do a lot of commercial ad work. I do um, video productions, films, and um, yeah, Josh, he's he's an author. So we just kind of really hit it off in that way, and it it was just kind of natural progression for us to get into podcasting, where we could continue to tell tell stories right and that's why that's why we're titled second story nice and uh josh uh, i'm guessing your experience probably wasn't too much different than that i had no idea that we were friends i thought we were just colleagues but that's cool (laughs) it's nice to nice to be appreciated nice to have some friendship uh yeah no our my experience was very much the same as Corey's. it's funny what we bonded over because you know i had I'd spent years sort of feeling like I was out of place. Like I grew up a jock and I really, I wasn't really a jock. Like I enjoyed sports and I still do. I know the two of you hate them, but I love them. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, as I got a bit older, like like my late teenage years, I kind of realized that was like, I was an artistic person. I liked to write. I liked, you know, to watch obscure films and things like that. And I never really found anyone who was like me until I went to film school and met people like Corey and, you know, a couple of our other friends who, you know, were the same way. And we actually bonded over David Lynch movies. I don't know if you know who David Lynch is. He's an artistic director. Mm-hmm. He's directed some pretty strange films like Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, uh, Lost Highway. They're all kind of, I don't know, very obscure, like mind altering movies. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you remember this, Corey, but we also bonded over the band Tool, which is my favorite band. Uh, I never really, yeah, I never really met anybody who, who liked Tool. So, mm-hmm. You know, my, my friends now like it. I actually went to Tool like three nights ago here, up here. I went to the concert. Dude, it was a couple of 60-year-olds. They know what they're doing. Um, but, yeah, those were sort of the things we bonded over. Uh, yeah, He's turning Annie, 60 in May. <laughs> yeah, Maynard. Maynard, Maynard is. Maynard yeah, is. I think April seven, April 16th or 17th yeah, is the 60th. Yeah, yeah. But Danny Carey, their drummer, I think is going to be 63 next year. And it's weird. He walks worse than I do. And there's not many people that walk worse than I do. Um, but, dude, can he ever still play? It's pretty wild just his ability to to still, you know, hit the double bass as quick as ever. And he's, you know, he's collecting Social Security in a couple of years. It's just, it's bonkers. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's kind of what we bonded over at film school. And then from there, like, like Corey said, we were fast friends. And just mm-hmm. our love of, you know, storytelling and things like that is kind of where it went from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess one name that like immediately came to mind as soon as you mentioned film was like Quentin Tarantino because uh, Pulp Fiction is probably one of my favorite movies, and it's so funny because like that movie is one of the only movies where you would have to watch multiple times to really understand it, and then you appreciate it more and more every single time. There's always something like a little neat part in there that you forgot about. Um, other than like David Lynch, who would be some other like film producers and maybe like overall movie themes that you guys might have like, you know, looked at in your, I don't want to say your school career, but you know, overall. Fincher, David Fincher, I would say that'd be one of mine. He directed uh, Fight Club. Um, mm-hmm. 
what else did he direct? Well, Gone Girl, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He just had one come out last week. I haven't seen it yet, but Corey killer. watched it. You might speak yeah, to it. Yeah, really the killer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's probably one of them. Uh, I would say Michael Mann for me as well. Michael Mann directed Heat, uh, mm-hmm. The Insider. Um, Heat's up there as one of my favorite movies, so that would that would probably be mine. I don't know if Corey's a little different. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of Tarantino as well. Um, probably my favorite directors would be the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's there's really not a Coen Brothers movie I don't like. Um, you know they did like. Uh, Big Lebowski and No Country for Old Men and Old Brother Where Art Thou. Um, what else? Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Love Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, what did yeah. he direct, Corey? Well, no one knows who the hell Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh, did he direct Alien versus Predator?" But that's the other Paul Anderson, isn't it? There's two Paul Andersons that direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, P.T. Yeah. Anderson, uh, There Will Be Blood. That's that's a good one. Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. That's one of my favorites, actually. That's one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies, and it's way outside of his his norm. It was say, I, I can't say I've even heard of that movie. Yeah. Well, he, if you want a list of serious mo- movie yeah. for him, so yeah, yeah, he had a, he doesn't have many, but I love I love when the Sandman gets serious. <laughs> love it uh if yeah if you ever want a list of movies kyle Corey and i could probably provide you with about 1800 movies you've never heard of that are <laughs> well 900 of them would come for me and they'd be awesome and 900 would be shit and those are stories <laughs> I, I don't know why it just um reminded me i was looking at a picture and i said this to my brother today make sure i could get get this because we were talking about tarantino but um if you guys are familiar with dragon ball z um, yeah, that's cool. Could you imagine Samuel L. Jackson? Special beam cannon, motherfucker. Yeah, really? <laughs> oh, Samuel L. One of my favorite movie experiences was Samuel L. Jackson, Snakes on a Plane. I went to oh, see that movie in the theater like three. I saw it three times, dude. That was when we were at film school. I was so pumped to see it. I saw it opening night. Actually, I saw it the night before opening night, and then I went to see it opening night, and then I saw it again like two weeks later. Okay, so it is that movie fun? It, is that movie like so bad that it's good or is it like actually a good movie? Because I feel like it's one of those movies is like so bad that it's good. Yeah. It's so bad that it's just entertaining as hell. That's really what it is. It's just, it's one of those movies where the story is so thin that they just incorporate. It's almost like a concept movie. They just had all these cool little scenes that they came up with and they're like, what's the plot of this thing going to be? And they're like, we don't need a plot. We got Sam Jackson yelling and we got snakes on a plane. Come on. Get these motherfucking snakes off the motherfucking plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all you need. Just Sam Jackson yelling and a bunch of snakes on a plane. Baby, yeah, I mean, we got a movie going. Yeah, you just need uh, the, the potty mouth for that. Now, I heard for the censor version, he said, get these Monday fry or like these freaking snakes on this Monday <laughs> Friday plane or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it on TV and it is I don't know if it's exactly that but it's something pretty close to that which is is actually even funnier I think it's almost better yeah yeah it is almost better but yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's like uh when you were a kid you always wanted to go for the uh you know what is it like a sexually explicit or like the adult content material warnings on stuff so you see that you're like oh man this is good stuff or like I don't know if you guys had that experience when you were younger um look at a video games and it would say like rated r you or rated m for mature you're like yeah i want that motherfucker oh man yeah. i watched i watched stuff that i should not have watched when i was way too young yeah yeah, yeah like me, me too 
all the Van Damme movies, like all the Schwarzenegger movies, like Total Recall, all that stuff. Like I was way too young watching. Oh, look who dropped by. Our dear friend Josh. Oh man, (laughs) Joshua Smith, what is up, buddy? It's been a minute. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, this Uh, this is the mashup that he needs. Go Sharks! (laughs) I hear they're great this year. <laughs> yeah, I talk no, about I, hockey guys. They don't. Josh knows. You guys don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't understand what you're saying. I, I, no. Josh, the big Pens fan, which is funny because like I could give a shit less, but like you know that's like a 45 minute drive for me to go get like wiggle whiskey on my way to uh, go watch the Pens if I really wanted to. Yeah, you should just go there to troll me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you should just go there one day just to troll me. Go with like a bag of Starburst jelly beans, which is also something that you can only get in the states that I love. Uh, yeah, a, a bottle of Wiggle whiskey. Go to the Pens game and just absolutely troll me, and then mail all those things to my house. <laughs> there are a couple of uh, Wiggle uh, breweries in Pittsburgh now, which I, I haven't gone to the breweries, but man, I would love to. That shit's awesome. Um, yeah, so, I really you enjoyed know what? it. Yeah, I guess that the Sharks are rebuilding, don't hate. <laughs> yeah, be good we came on, Josh. let me get this straight. So we came on in Liberty and Health to talk about Starburst Jelly Beans. So and it, movies and oh, hockey. Okay. So Okay, yeah. well, you know what? To be fair, Starburst Jelly Beans, if you're looking to replenish your glycogen stores, are probably a good source <laughs> of that because they're quick digesting carbohydrates. So anyways, don't give, listen, this, guy, don't give this guy another <laughs> reason to eat more me, Starburst Jelly Beans. Let me write beans, that man. down. I'm a, I got a shortage up here. I'm going to have to head to the States to get some more. Yeah, we talk to his wife. He'll be like, no, glycogen store. Glycogen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he said glycogen, right? Look, yeah, I'm replenishing. Yeah. I'm way too dyslexic to remember any of the words that Kyle just said. But, you know, you were talking about movies for a second ago. The one movie that I saw that I never should have saw as a kid was RoboCop. I saw RoboCop when I was six. Um, Yeah, I'll mail you some, Josh. Uh, Yeah, RoboCop. My grandfather put it on. He just thought it was a robot movie. Had no idea what it was. My grandfather was, you know, just kind of out of touch with movies and stuff like that. Puts it on and like an hour into it. The scene where, uh, oh, Clarence, I forget his last name, but is it Boddicker? I can't remember the villain's name, but he's going around with this huge gun and he's blowing up cars and people and stuff like that. And my dad comes in. He's like, what are you watching? And my grandpa's like, oh, he's watching some robot movie. And I was literally six and I'm watching like one of the most graphic action movies of the early 90s or late 80s, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I love that movie. My mom took me to the drive-in to go see the original Pet Cemetery. Jesus oh my Christ. god! Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty. Fucking I saw that one. Movie. I saw that when I was way too young too, man. And Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth, all those things, man. Like, you, I've never watched those movies, but I've watched like the death scenes. I don't. I don't know why, but like I have this mild fascination with like Mortal Kombat fatalities and like gruesome deaths in movies. But, like I'll yeah. search them up on YouTube and just like watch it. It's like, fuck, man, that's awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite movie, Kyle? Pulp Fiction, probably. I, I don't watch okay. that in the movies, but like that, off the top of my head, that's probably my favorite one. Okay, so that is actually your favorite. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I love yeah. Pulp Fiction. I love Tarantino. Well, so back in like 2004 and 2005, I want to say it was probably 2006 at the latest that like episode three of Star Wars came out. Um, were you guys big Star Wars fans or like Trek fans or what's with that? Not Trek fans. I I, I like Star Wars, yeah. I still yeah, like the original. I watch it with my kids now. Gotcha. <laughs> oh man, that's gotta feel weird. It is. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah of course, kids are almost teenagers now. Yeah. Not to not to date him, but they're getting there. <laughs> Trek fans are gay. I agree. <laughs> I I haven't even watched Star Trek that much, but yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. 
So I guess kind of pivoting over to something that you guys wanted to hit on a little bit and that I think is actually relevant. Um, when you were mentioning kind of decrepit pain with the hips and shit like that. Um, and we were talking about whiskey too, funny enough. Um, you guys have dealt with chronic pain. Now, I know one story that kind of comes to mind is one of my old dispatchers telling me he went to the doctors once and had to get a tooth removed or something like that. And they tried to give him some kind of drugs. And he said, no, I'll just go home and drink a beer. And they're like, oh, well, why not? He said, look, if I feel good, I'm not going to want to feel bad. So he, he decided to uh, not take pills. So um, I guess what kind of has been your situation with dealing with chronic pain and kind of what got you to where you guys were at? And Josh, I don't think you and I talked about this about the first time that you were on. So maybe I'll throw it over to you first and you can kind of describe like what got you to where you are and then how you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've dealt with chronic pain since uh probably about 2006. Um, so I was born with a curved spine. It wasn't curved enough to the point where I needed surgery. My brother actually got spinal surgery when he was 14. I was just under the threshold to get it. Um, so basically I, I just wasn't, you know, the, my back wasn't, uh, curved enough. So I kind of grew crooked basically, but not, not crooked enough. Um, so I dealt it's with like that. Yo, yeah, oh, dude, my nose way more crooked than my back. <laughs> Uh, that, <laughs> that was a totally separate injury. I broke my nose a lot of times playing hockey. So oh, hockey is a game that's played on ice with a stick and a puck and Josh knows. Uh, anyways, so 2006, actually, oddly enough in Thunder Bay, um, yeah, I was there between our first and second year of school and I got, I kind of got hit by a car. Basically I was, I was rollerblading through an intersection. This lady drove into me. I caught her at the last second, like caught her in my peripheral jumped over the hood of her car, kind of rolled and landed basically right on my tailbone. Um, messed my back up pretty good. I was in a lot of pain for a couple of weeks, but the immediate adrenaline from it, I didn't really know that I was in pain. And then I went and met some friends at a pub and I, you know, I was like 20 years old. I went drinking all weekend. And then Monday morning I woke up and I'm like, Ooh, that's new. Like that doesn't feel right. Um, so I dealt, you know, kind of with back problems for you know about a year or so and then it got a little bit better and then i moved to vancouver after we finished film school 2008 and i was working on a loading elevator and the hydraulics broke and basically the elevator was like this and it went like this and i got slammed into a wall ended up in the hospital um and then basically from then on my back was never right it was always something you know every year i deal with a couple couple of weeks where i'd have like severe sharp pains down my legs stuff like that and this went on basically for about six years and then in 2014 i had i had spinal surgery uh i was good for like two years and then kind of had a relapse with it and uh ended up it ended up causing hip problems and then I dealt with hip problems for a few years and then 2021 during kind of the height of the pandemic, um, I was, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyways. I was putting on a pair of pants and, uh, I tore, we didn't know this at the time, but basically I felt this incredible pain. I lost feeling in both of my legs. I fell face first onto the ground. The paramedics had to be called. I ended up in the hospital and it took them six weeks and several teams of, of like surgeons and stuff like that to figure out that I'd basically uh, herniated a disc in my back and tore both of my labrums and both hips, putting on my damn pants. Uh, so I'm awesome. I'm obviously a very good athlete in case you haven't noticed. Um, but and yeah, the rolling, so, the rolling over the hood that came from watching all those Michael Mann movies, right? You just uh, yeah. Yeah. It was Pacino actually specifically in heat running with the well, gun. Okay, I just so, yeah, felt like yeah. Pacino. 
Yeah. <laughs> you guys don't yeah. have sharks up there in Canada. So in order to jump the shark, you just have to jump a car. <laughs> Except you didn't make it. <laughs> I did not make it. Anyways, so that's sort of like the progression that led to chronic pain. So yeah, I've had, I've had off and on chronic pain basically since I was like 20 and I'm 38 now. So not a particularly fun thing to deal with through, you know, what's supposed to be the prime years of your life, but it is what it is. Kyle, I remember him on our film sets just laying on his back, like recording sound. Yeah, that like was right after. It's just laying straight on his back because he, he just was fucked up at that point. And like, how old were you at that? that? So that would have been 2006, 2007. So I would have been 21 at that point. Yeah, because yeah. it was the summer of 2006 that I actually got hit by the car. So yeah, it was would have been right after that, our second year of film school. Good. Pretty wild. Yeah. 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 Um. So I, I guess one question that I would have is like, were there any kind of like physical therapy routes or maybe like exercise routines that were recommended to you before um, you decide to go for surgery? Like my mom got into a bad car accident and she had to go through back surgery. And the more I learn about back surgeries and the more I hear of people who get them, the grimmer it looks. So like uh, the one guy that I follow, Lane Norton had mentioned that like 50% of back surgeries are like work. <laughs> and so that means 50% don't work. And yes. then there was a, a meta-analysis done by, I think, a guy named Eric Helms, or either that or he read it, and he had mentioned that, like, the vast majority of back pain for people disappears within, like, 8 to 12 weeks. And, and obviously, I'm not saying this is your case. Clearly, it's not. But, like, for a lot of people, I don't think they really understand what maybe your situation would be like. Yeah, it's a great point. So when I went in for surgery, they told me basically it was 60 40 at the time. I went in a decade, you know, almost a decade ago to get surgery. So at the time it was 60 40. I'm not surprised to hear that the statistics have kind of gone in the wrong direction. Uh, but yeah, that was something that was talked about a lot. Usually, so from like 2006 to 2013, I would go through that cycle where it would be like two to three months where it would be, you know, pretty severe back pain. I'd be kind of laid up and basically immobilized. And then after about three months, I would just go back to normal. I'd be able to go play golf and hockey and baseball again, and life would kind of go on. And then like a year later, I'd sort of have a, a reoccurrence of it. And then, you know, three months later, it's, it's gone. So I went through that cycle for, you know, a good six or seven years. And then uh, in 2013, towards the end of 2013 was when I hurt my back and it just never went away for a full year. So there's a full calendar year. And this is actually where I wrote my book <laughs> or at least the bulk <laughs> of my book was when I was just laid up with nothing to do um, from about, Oh, I guess it was like March or April of 2014 till September. It just, I couldn't, I couldn't move or do anything. I was, it was pretty rough. So that was where they opted. They're like, look, this isn't getting better on its own. And you know, you've dealt with it for so long. It's probably time to explore surgery. And we did, and it worked for two years. And then I kind of ended up back at square one. Mm. Now, was there any kind of like catalyzing event over the two years or do you think it was just the surgery was done improperly or is it something else? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one that I actually think about a lot. I actually think it was just lifestyle. Um, I was, you know, at a point where I just my first daughter was born. So my sleeping habits had kind of changed. You know, I was always sleeping in a normal bed and then my daughter was born and I was sleeping kind of sitting in a recliner, which is sitting in a recliner is terrible for your back. Um, so I think that was one major change that went on for a couple months until she was a bit older. She was able to sleep, you know, she started sleeping in a crib on her own. So that was one thing. I also played a lot of golf that year. Um, I was playing baseball three times a week. Um, so I was, I was super 
physical into a lot of these things. And it was a lot of high impact stuff. Like people don't think baseball is high impact, but when you hit as many dingers as I do and you're trotting the bases all the time, you know, running yeah. is not great for your back. So um, I think it was just lifestyle. And then like just I work. You were a catcher I, too, right? In baseball? Yeah, I play. I played catcher. Don't don't. Do I'm that. glad that he a, added that caveat. I was a goalie too. I was a goalie too. If you if you must know, um, yeah, idiot. Uh, I was a goalie as well in hockey, um, and it's actually they believe that it's being a goalie and being a catcher uh, through my like teenage years when your body is developing. They think that's probably what's caused the issues in my hips. Um, because the bones grow grew in a way that was deformed. Um, so I'm actually part of a study up here in Canada um, oh, to no deal shit. with. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the guys in the study are all goaltenders too. They're all goaltenders in their mid-30s. And we were the first generation to play this goaltending style called the, called the butterfly, where basically you know, most goalies would stand up and just hope the puck hit them. But we we're the first generation to actually like drop to our knees, bounce back up, drop to our knees. So it was constantly putting pressure on your hips and stuff like that. Oh, so man, yeah. yeah, it was, it was not a great, it was, I mean, st stylistically it's a great way to play goalie because you have a better chance of the puck hitting you. But in terms of like a bunch of teenagers doing it, not a great idea. So that's, that's probably a big part and why I ended up where I ended up. Yeah. Especially with your hip, because, um, is you get a more is you get a joint with a greater range of motion, the potential for injury is much much higher. So like obviously your shoulder is the most likely joint to really you know f you up. Um, your hips are probably like the second most likely because you can go back forth side to side, not quite as much range of motion as your shoulder does, and then you know down on for their elbows, knees, ankles, um, wrists, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, man, geez. Um, Corey, so apparently you've had something similar. Um, do you mind laying out your story as well? His is a shoulder. Hard, yeah, it's hard to lay out a story after that one because Josh's is so much worse. But uh, you talked about shoulder. And um, yeah, shoulder shoulder and lower back are my issues. But lately, uh, it's my shoulder. And actually, it's been both shoulders. So it started out as my left shoulder was real bad. And I thought, well... I used to play baseball. I used to pitch. I used to um, do, a, you know, you know I, I was active as well. Um, but now, like, everything's my my right shoulder. It's, it's almost, like, moved into here. And I attribute it to the work I do. Like, I do video production, so I'm, like, constantly using gimbals where, like, my shoulders are pressed forward. I'm editing for hours and hours and hours sitting in a chair editing. I try to take breaks, but... You know how it goes. Um, so, yeah, like I'm in physio for it. I'm trying acupuncture. I'm trying, you know, I do massage. I'm, I've, I'm basically trying everything because I just want to – I don't want to go down the surgery route. I really want to try everything I can to not go down that route, not go down like medication route. Like I just really want to try to strengthen what needs to be strengthened. So – Mm -hmm. so yeah. one thing that i've heard that helps for shoulder stuff is uh hanging and i know that when i used to have short like my shoulder would feel a little tweaked up if i started to hang a little bit more for me like just a couple of minutes every day i felt a lot better so i guess um what would like have you seen doctors about it and what have they recommended you do if you've seen them or have you like personally looked into stuff that would prevent um surgery yeah so i actually you know what, to be honest with you, I haven't gone to my doctor specifically about that. Um, 
I've been doing kind of massage therapy for years and years. So I'm kind of already in like a physio, the places that we have, I don't know what it's like in the States, but places we have a lot of times there'll be a physio place where they do massage and they do acupuncture and they do all, all the things in one spot. Um, so I've been going for massage for years and then they just recommended me to the physio. So I go to the physio, he does the acupuncture, that kind of stuff. And, um, so I've never really gotten a doctor's referral, I guess, for it, mm. but you know, maybe I'll have to go that road at some point. I hope not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to maybe like physical exercise for either of you guys, um, man, this is such like a weird question because like for me, I can't imagine not being able to go in and deadlift 500 pounds, squat 400 pounds or anything like that. Uh, or, you know, just do anything at all. And I think it's, it, it it's kind of like one of those things, you know, you, you don't know what you have until it's gone. <laughs> you know, if you can't, it yeah. has affected my workout. Yeah. Like I, I do go to the gym. I strength train. Um, you know, I'm not, putting up what you're putting up that's for sure but um i was gaining on you know like chest press and stuff like that i pretty much don't do chest press anymore because it it hurts my shoulder so bad so yeah. lately every time i go in the gym i've been doing just um kind of lightweight shoulder exercises a lot of rotator cuff exercises things like that a lot that the physio has been suggesting to me but what do you think as far as what I should be doing. I'd like to get back benching and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as I know, it's always just like proper form. Just make sure when you're pressing, you're not letting your elbows flare out. Right. Cause you could already see like where my shoulders are and like you pressing from here, but like my shoulders already don't feel good doing that. But if you're pressing from here, like see elbows tucked mm -hmm. down, then you're in a lot more of a powerful position to press. But, um, you know, I mean, anything that hurts when you're doing it in a way that's like, ouch, like this, this really hurts. Not just like, oh, that burns. Um, no, that's bad. Like, like sharp. Oh. Yeah, this is sharp pains. It's not, it's not like burning from the workout. It's, it's exactly like something. You ever wrong. think it's, you ever yeah. think it's possible it's something in your neck? Actually, I do think it is because um, when I'm, when I'm working the camera, uh, it usually goes down my neck and then, it's almost like feels like it's under my shoulder blade, but my, the motion that I have issue with is this one, like going straight up like that. Like there's a stopping point and it's right there. I can feel it. Like I can get past it, but that's mm. where it, it kind of has a stopping point there. And this like, uh, maybe you can't see it, but doing like rote, you know, rotations like this, that mm. that's what really kind of affects me. So, but yeah, like they have mentioned at the physio and massage that it's that it stems they think it stems up in the neck mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of funny um another thing that i thought about when i was 17 i was actually in a car accident and i was texting and driving it's funny because my um ooh, ooh. yeah my chiropractor at the time was so good. sorry i didn't have my first cell phone until i was 28 so like, cell phones <laughs> were cell phones even invented when you were 17 no, Corey? <laughs> i don't no. think so i don't think no, so. No. Yeah, look, look dude you you got a little bit of salt and pepper but believe me if i leave this shit girl out then i got tons of it so don't feel bad um, right. I, one of my co-workers actually she came up to me and said um because my birthday was um earlier this month um 
like oh yeah i just turned 29 and uh she said oh i thought you were like way older like you mean like dad vibes I'm like oh. It's all downhill from here, man. 30. 30, man. 30 is a... When I turned 30, it was... That's... Stuff just started to go. It was weird. You'd be... Like Corey's talking about, you'd just be microwaving some food. You're like, oh, my shoulder. What the hell? Yeah. Stand too close (laughs) to the microwave or something. It's it's weird. It'd be a weird time. Like, hey, putting on your pants, you end up in the hospital. That's that's me. (laughs) The barometric (laughs) pressure changes because you preheated the oven next thing. You're like, fuck my knee. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, it's it's so far off. Yeah. It's Um, rough. You you go ahead. Oh, no, no. Um, So, like, my chiropractor knew that I was sexy and driving because he said, like, the way that your posture is right now, like, your shoulders sitting uneven, your head's tilted one way. And um, I could tell you're wearing your seatbelt as well. And um, ever since then, like occasionally, and it hasn't happened quite a while, but like I remember the one day I was taking a tire off a wheel and just my whole body got a shock. And like I couldn't turn very well at all ever since then. It was because I just, or um, I shifted the C5 and C6 in my neck and it was pinching a nerve in my lower back. So like anytime I would turn, it was just severe fucking pain. So, um, you know, he cracked me up and did all this other stuff and everything was pretty good. Last time I went to the chiropractor, this guy that I go to now is pretty good. And it, it was kind of weird, but I never had a chiropractor like sit me down, and, like press on my head and turn me a little bit to try and like assess. So um, I don't know if you guys have had experiences like that. And, you know, if like, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when they're loading you up, you just feel you're like, oh, no, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. And you're surprised at how much it hurts. Like I've had a chiropractor like he'll He'll just like touch like kind of on your trap there. And I'm like, ooh, and he's like, yeah, I, buddy, I'm just like, he'll touch me on the arm and go like, I'm, I'm doing this to you. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, weird. It shouldn't hurt that much, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bizarre <laughs> thing. I've, I've gone to the chiropractor too and had the same thing. I did the same thing on my arm and it started hurting like here. I was just like, what? But yeah, I guess it's all connected in some way or another. Yeah, so one thing that I'm sure that was probably recommended to you is that you take pain pills and stuff like that. Um, funny yeah. enough, my wife and I were watching uh, The Rookie the other day, and the one um, one of the um, cops' parents, The Rookie's just a show about police, and uh, the one um, lady's parents, or her mom, was addicted to opioids, and she never um, you know, explained it to her daughter, but... Um, you know, it really seems like some people probably start off like, oh, I'll just take these a little bit. And then, you know, you keep taking you up the dose a little bit. Maybe you're feeling a little bit rougher one day. So you, you take maybe a little bit more. And the next thing you know, you're down this path of just constantly taking pills. And I know plenty of people in my personal life that have gone through situations like this. Um, how did you guys not end up in a situation like that? Because that could get real sideways real quick. I've never ended up in that situation. How about you, Josh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was pretty close. I mean, so my my extended stay in the hospital, I was basically that, like you're describing. Um, I was laying in a bed 24 hours a day, motionless, and they would just feed me more, more and more. And the pain, my threshold for the drugs obviously would go up. Um, and it got to a point where, you know, they, they, they'd come and give me a needle every couple of hours, um, which was basically morphine. So they just repeatedly feed it. Like, how's your pain? I'd be like, well, my pain's a nine and it would be a nine. They'd come and give me a needle. So every few hours and it got to a point where I was sleeping 22 hours a day. It was crazy. Like I couldn't really talk the doctors that come in and they, they try to ask me questions and I'd just be 
slurring through my words. Like I was, I was pretty out of it. Corey talked to me on the phone a few times and I think he would probably agree that I didn't sound like myself. Actually, dude, I called you almost every night. Oh, so maybe you don't remember. remember. <laughs> <laughs> nope sure don't Oof, yeah almost take, every night we talked yeah i'll yeah, take your picture insane. down with the darts in it um <laughs> for not for not calling me um you know what actually w- was my savior and and this person's been my savior a lot in my life is my wife uh she basically got to a point it was maybe like four or five days in of this and she could kind of see like this is it's a very slippery slope so she basically came to me and she's like you're just gonna have to deal with the pain She's like, I know it sucks, but you can't be sleeping 22 hours a day. Like, you got to get up and get out of here, and you can't get out of here with with all this medication. Like, you can't come to our house and just sleep all day. And I was like, okay. So it was like a slow, like, I'm going to cut back. And the crazy thing is, I'd only been on this stuff for like a week. And when my wife, like, kind of explained it to the doctor, they're like, okay, but it's going to take weeks to get them off of this stuff. And she's like, fine, just slowly decrease it. So it was like a slow, just decrease, decrease, decrease. And it was like four months later when I was finally off like the the hydromorphone, basically. Like that's how long it took to actually safely get off of it. And I'd been on it for like seven days. It was it was just, it had its, had its hooks in me that quick. Um, and by the time I got out of the hospital, like I was in a ton of pain when I got out of the hospital. And it was one of those things where I just... You know, I I remember having this doctor and he's just like, you just got to move. He's like, you either move and you aggravate it to the point where you you need emergency surgery and we'll we'll do it. Or you move it and you start to rehab and you'll get better and you'll get better and better. And it also keep you, you know, able to get off of this stuff safely. Um, So, yeah, I just basically was able to wean myself off of it safely and not let it get hooked into me. But like if my wife wasn't there, I don't know what would have happened because they were just happily feeding me this stuff over and over and over. And like it was a mix of hydromorphone, Celebrex, Lyrica, which is like a nerve medication. Um, they were also giving me fentanyl. Uh, like Ooh. it was, yeah, it was it was a crazy. On, uh, was one of them Dilaudid? Weren't you on? Dilaudid? Yeah, it was, that's hydromorphone. Yeah, it's is like it? the okay, yeah. yeah, it's like the brand name or uh, might be the generic name for it. But yeah, Dilaudid was the big thing they had me on, which is hydromorphone. And then they were just giving me the morphine shots in between. So I would get a dose of, of Dilaudid and then they'd come in and they'd give me a, a shot of morphine if I needed it. And it was, ugh, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely understand how people let it get. I mean, it's not even let it. It's just, it does. It just gets its hooks into you. And it's, it's very easy to, to let it happen. We'll just say. It, so I was very fortunate. It's so strange to me because you would think that this would require like some kind of, consistent consent or something like hey you know this is very addictive um there could be severe side effects from this like this could end up killing you um but we want to try to use this as scarcely as possible just so that way you're not hurting as bad like to me this almost sounds criminal right because you're literally if someone's sleeping 22 hours a day then they might as well be dead at that point right and not mm-hmm. to say that, like, oh, you should just kill them off, but that is to say that, like, this person's not having a life at all if they're sleeping yeah. that much. So, like, w- what was kind of like walking through that? Because you said it was only over the course of a week, but I mean, if over a week it's that bad, then like, <laughs> let's pump the brakes a little bit here, right? Yeah, it was. You know, it it's tough. It's the nurses who administer it, and they will, they are good about saying like. 
are you sure that you need this? Like if you ask for more, they'll say like, are you sure? And they do cap you. Um, so they have limits that they'll cap you at. And if, if you get to the, your limit, then they'll go to the doctor. And usually the doctor is pretty good about saying like, sorry, that's kind of it for you. Um, but I hadn't even gotten close because it was just, I was going up so quick. But This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wasn't even close to what the limits were, like the daily limits that the hospital would allow. Um, and then, you know, fortunately, it, it got cut down. But yeah, I mean, they have, I guess they're, I don't know, they, they're they so overworked, like the healthcare workers in Canada. The nurses, like, there was one night where I was on this unit of 26 people, and there was one nurse to cover us for 26 right. people. And it was a, uh, like, it wasn't like we were, you know, hands off like you can just leave us for the night it was people who couldn't walk like people there was a gentleman in the room with me who had just been in a motorcycle accident he had eight surgeries because he had destroyed like half of his body in in a motorcycle accident he wasn't getting up to go to the bathroom in the night you know like it was bedpan changes like all that kind of stuff and there's one nurse to handle it and they chart you know a lot of their job is just charting and keeping track of stuff like that but they'll do two you know two day shifts and then they're off for four days and that's two night shifts and they're off for four days so they see you for you know 24 of 36 hours and they don't see you again for a long time so it's really tough to uh for there to be accountability and i really think that like people do slip through the cracks when they get into that environment i mean we've all heard horror stories about people who just they go in for surgery or something happens and they end up hooked on medication and then it's street drugs within like a couple of years. And it's, it's horrible. And honestly, I don't really know what the answer is to stuff like that because people do need pain management. Um, it's super important and there are ways to do it without opiates, but it's really sucks. Like it's terrible. I do it. Like I don't, I don't take any opiates right now. I don't take any traditional like pharmaceutical drugs for my pain management. I manage my pain with, physical fitness, stretching, uh, ice and heat. I use like, I ice my hips every single day. I have these hip ice packs, but that my wife bought me, they're specialized for that. Mm -hmm. And then I've got two heating pads that I'll put on if I need them and CBD. I use CBD every day and it's, it's amazing. Um, the effects of it. So that's, what's worked for me. It's not going to work for everybody, but I mean, I feel like there are ways to manage your pain without necessarily getting into narcotics and opiates and stuff like that. But maybe that's just me. So Corey, when it comes to like your shoulder um, injuries or, you know, issues, um, I remember applying like cooling gel on my shoulder at one point and thinking like, man, this really doesn't do anything. So, and I'm sure hips probably aren't that much different where like in order to sue the hip or a shoulder, that's kind of like a pretty meaty area. Like your back, at least you could put something directly on your back. 
Um, same with your knee, but like, like I said, your shoulder or your hips, that's covered by a lot of different muscles and maybe even some fat. So like to get, you know, comfort there, that seems like it's a lot more of like a, a, a clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Actually, uh, to be honest with you, the best I feel is after I work out in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm there <laughs> working out, sometimes I'm like, oh, am I fucking myself up here? Like, am I hurt, injuring myself? But later in the day, I, or like even an hour later, I'm usually feeling quite a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started acupuncture. I've done three sessions. Today It was the first time where I thought, maybe something's actually working with that mm-hmm. i i'm not sure <laughs> like i i've never believed that acupuncture actually works but um I, i'm at the point where i'm like i'm gonna try anything because i'm not i'm not sleeping well i'm not like yeah that's a tough just, one for sleep it's hard because like you want to sleep on your side and you just can't right yeah I do dry needling, I should add. I do dry needling with like um, my physiotherapist and that sucks. It's terrible, uh, especially when they're putting a lot of it is like in my hip flexors because my hip flexors do a ton of the work to sort of support my body. So I'm constantly having to go in and get reset and for somebody to stick, you know, four needles and go in your hip flexors, it sucks. Uh, but it it works. Like I come out of there and I'm I'm in a lot of pain for like 24 hours. But I'm good for like two three weeks after that to just live my life. And I somehow with like you know torn labrum and like these hip impingements, I can still do some squats. Now I'm not squatting like you, but you know I can do ten of them. <laughs> I can get ten of them done. <laughs> Uh, they're, they don't probably don't look great, but you know, I, I power through them and get them done. And I do feel great after I, I exercise yeah. every day. That's a big thing for me too. Well, yeah, something's better than nothing. And, uh, that's one thing that I always try to stress upon people whenever we talk about health and fitness is that like, it shouldn't be, you have to deadlift 500 pounds. You have to have a six pack. You have to be, you know, 8% body fat and, you know, bench pressing the entire gym whenever you're there, um, it just needs to be some movement that makes you a little bit better than you were the day before, right? It, it should be a very, very low goal. So this is also why, and I, we talked about this the last time, or well, the yeah, last time we all talked, um, just this diet dogma. It's why I don't subscribe to it and why I try to like disabuse people of this, because like if we want to improve people's health and improve their overall status in the world, then like the barrier to entry should be as low as possible, especially when you like read into stuff, you know, especially like the seed oil stuff, because people get their panties in a bunch about that stuff. Um, especially when like none of it's true. And generally, if you don't eat like an asshole, you're going to be okay. Then why can't we make the barrier to entry as low as possible? Why do we have to gatekeep health from people? I understand gatekeeping political beliefs or certain groups, sports, for example, I'm, I'm totally on board with people gatekeeping, you know, women or people who don't belong in the community out to, you know, to keep it a, a certain way. But like when it comes to health, we shouldn't be gatekeeping that because I think if people get healthier, then we're going to, you know, have a more prosperous world overall. Yeah. Uh, like for health, the one thing, you know, when it comes to like senior citizens, especially like I, I look at my grandmother, my grandmother lived to be 96. The reason I think she lived to be 96 was that she had this massive garden that she like worked her tail off every year to make this garden awesome. 
And she did that till she was almost, I think she was like 86 years old and she worked on that. But I noticed that like after she moved out of that home and she no longer had this giant garden, she had a little garden and like little flowers and stuff, but her health went down like not like super fast, but like it went down, like it decreased. It was pretty evident that it was it was going down. But I think just the movement of her like in and out of the garden, bending over, picking stuff up and, you know, mm-hmm. kneeling down and planting seeds and digging a little bit. Just that movement for like, and being outside, woman. being outside. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I, I say this to my father in law all the time because he's he's a farmer and he says he goes to his doctor and the doctor always says, like, you're in a great bill of health and you shouldn't be because you have a really high stress job because like farming like i mean you could lose <laughs> you could lose fifty thousand dollars on on a crop you know just bad weather right yeah one bad or, storm or something one bad storm so like it's high stress but for him um like i keep saying to him well i think the advantage is is that you work outside you've worked outside your whole life right i'm sure. sitting down in an office for like eight hours a day editing right and i'm hunched over a computer no sun in here i'm dying of rickets and (laughs) and, (laughs) i don't even have a window yeah 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 um so like i think there is advantage not only to what you're saying josh like with the gardening and everything but just being outside in general Mm -hmm. yeah it's true yeah yeah, well, you know what's funny is that uh, there was somebody that um, I worked with at one point. I just realized how many things I said were funny throughout this podcast. It's like just clicked for me. But um, oh, I, it's, it's hard very not funny. to say that, man. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. say it all the time on our podcast. It's either interesting or it's funny, and neither are interesting or funny. But anyways, yeah. I digress. Yeah, we, we call each other out on that all the time. <laughs> yeah, we do. We just, just call ourselves like a, a, the uh, three musketeers of retardation or something like that. <laughs> Whatever um, works. This, this guy that I worked with, Ike, at the first dealership I worked at, he retired three times, and I'm pretty sure he died when he was like, I want to say probably in his 90s. And I remember asking him, well... <laughs> First, they sat him down with me and we were just talking and he's like, all right, young man, how old do you think I am? I'm like 40s. And he went, yes. I said 50s. He went, yes. And I said 60s. Yes. And I'm like 70s. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm like in my late 70s. And um, I'm like, well, how the hell do you look so like young? And people told me like, yeah, he still runs and everything. And uh, he said, you know, I just never stopped working. He said, I started this job back in the 50s and just never stopped. And uh, that is definitely something like movement definitely is good for the soul and for the body overall. So like I always joke that um, when I'm in my 60s, I still want to be able to deadlift at least 400 pounds. I think I'll be able to do it. Um, you know, my goal by the end of like this bulk, even though I cut it off a little bit um, short because I got too fat, too, um, too fast, um, was to get to 550 pounds for a deadlift. I got to 520 conventional 530 with a trap bar, but, um, you know, I, I'm pretty good. I just want to be an old man that looks good and functions well. And I think part of that is going to be just staying active. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you stop moving, you're. I mean, I don't want to say it, but you're dead, basically. Like, if you're, if you ain't moving, you're a corpse, and that's that's kind of the way I feel. And you know, I don't move particularly well, but I move every single day. I stretch. Tw- I have two stretching routines. I do twice a day. I do a workout as well every day, or at least five days a week. 
Um, and I feel like that's honestly the only reason I'm not laying in a hospital bed. And it's the reason I've been able to wait for, you know, I am going to get double hip surgery um, because I, I have to. Um, but I've, I've been able to wait, you know, two plus years and, and have a relatively normal life in that time. So keep moving. That's it. Yeah. Corey, um, you said you do a little bit of a workout routine in the morning. Um, I find that I need my morning ritual. So like for me, I wake up at four 30, I make breakfast and then I go walk my dogs first thing in the morning, usually anywhere from like a mile and a half to maybe two and a half miles every single morning. Um, and if I can't do that, then I'll normally go walk on the treadmill or something like that, but just like some kind of movement after eating and preparing everything in the morning, I find that it really sets my day, you know, kind of starting off on the right foot. Um, I'm guessing your morning workout is something similar for you. Yeah. So I was actually having, so I, I work, for, I'm an entrepreneur. I work for myself. I was, I was having a lot of trouble, uh, finding when to do it when to work out and I'd put it in my schedule, I'd schedule it off in like the middle of the day, stuff like that. And then I would either be busy working and go, eh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to the gym or something would come up or a phone call would come up or a meeting. There was just all these reasons that it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I found out the best time for me is I go at seven in the morning, I head over to the gym, local gym here. And, oh, that was another problem. I had a gym that was 20 minutes away because uh, yeah. it was cheaper, right? <laughs> it was a cheaper gym, but it was uh, like actually 25 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So I moved to a closer gym that costs three times more, <laughs> but it's closer. You go. And it makes yeah, me go. go. Yeah. yeah. And I go every day. So, well, not every day. I go five days a week and I go for seven, seven in the morning and then I'm back home by eight to get my kids ready for the bus and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. It's changes like that, that, uh, you know, we've, we've, you and I've never even talked about that, like off air, but little changes like that are the thing that actually got me going. Like my first day where I, you know, I was out of the hospital, I was like, I'm going to work out. I didn't go like, let's lift weights. I went, I wonder if I could walk like to the end of my driveway. I'm like, I wonder if I could walk to the stop sign, which is like two doors down. And that was kind of like the progression. And then it was, can I walk to like the end of the next street? And then can I walk the block? And literally like my first two weeks of working out, out of the hospital was just me trying to like walk a little bit further every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like, like people who start diets or exercise routines, I don't feel like they do that. I feel like, like I was talking to my buddy the other day. He's like, I'm going to start working out five days a week. And I was like, no, you won't. Five like days a week, for, four, yeah, four in the morning yeah. cardio, and then yeah. I'm only gonna eat eighteen hundred calories a day, something yeah. like that. Yeah, but he, I, I said to him like, you're gonna do that for a week, and then you're gonna have like a binge weekend. You're gonna hate your life Sunday night, and then Monday you're gonna be like, ah, forget it, and then you you won't do it. But if you like ease yourself into it, it becomes this like not necessarily routine, but it just becomes something that you're building towards. And every day you're just putting another building block on it, another building block. And that kind of wires your brain to be like, I want to do a little bit more today, a little bit more the next day and a little bit more. And we as human beings, we like that. We like hitting a, you know, a target and then like going a little bit above it, a little bit above it. But mm -hmm. you're going to fail if you set this ridiculous target and then even come a tiny bit short. You're like, I'm a failure. I quit. That's it. But that, that's how I feel about it anyways. Yeah, same. 
Yeah. yeah, there was a, a coworker of mine told me about he was eating. He's like, yeah, man, I've been losing weight. I've been eating 1600 calories a day. And he's like taller than me and wider than me. And <laughs> he has a lot more weight to lose. I'm like, dude, you need to up your calories a little bit. Like I eat 22 to like 2300 when I'm trying to lose weight. You're bigger than me and you weigh a lot more than me. You're going to die, not literally die, but like you're going to hate your life. Like, yeah, it may seem fine right now, but like you're going to rebound so freaking hard and you're going to feel like you just lost everything for what? Because you want to lose weight a little bit faster. No, it's not a rush. Just believe me, weight loss will come slowly. Muscle building comes even slower than that, but like losing weight comes slowly, but you can see the progress, you know, over the course of time, you can see the numbers on the scale. It's very objective. You just have to be patient and nobody wants to be patient. They want the quick fix. Tell me, you know, let me jump off the bridge to lose 20 <laughs> pounds or, you know, F seed oils, go carnivore to, um, you know, help me lose the 40 pounds I want to lose when it's like, no, well, let's, let's work our way slowly there. Well, we talked yeah. about that previously, just like when you get into these fad things, like, uh, you know, I've done P90X and all these things in the past and they're great. They work, you know, like I did lose a lot of weight and gained a lot of muscle in that 30 days or whatever it was. But the problem is it it's not sustainable. It's like, mm. it, and it's not enjoyable. <laughs> like, like I wasn't doing it and going, man, this is fun. Like, yeah, really? Um, yeah. So like for me, like it's all about what what can I do within reason, within my schedule, um, you know, with having three kids and all that stuff. What what can I do that's manageable and sustainable and that I actually enjoy doing? So, yeah, I think people are like prepared to alter their entire lifestyle for their their fitness regimen. And really, it's you can't really do that. It's not like you can change your job just to allow your fitness to, to kind of fit into your life or change your family to fit, you know, it's just not possible. So your fitness is going to, and your, you know, your diet's going to have to work around your life. So it better be something like you say that, that is sustainable. We're actually talking to a guy next week. Um, his name's Ryan Johnson. He's a YouTuber. Um, he started September, 2020, I believe. And his whole thing was like, I'm done with yo-yo diets. I just want to, I want to find a sustainable path to like lose weight, keep it off, build muscle, keep it on. And uh, he's done it over the course of like three plus years, but people razz him all the time on like Instagram and stuff like that. And he's very like cordial and courteous about like writing back mm -hmm. to them and just being polite. Um, but people will be like, oh, look at this guy. Like he's not in that good a shape. Why is he like a fitness influencer? And it's like, well, he's showing you how to do it in a way that's like manageable, essentially. Right. And he's telling you straight up, like I do this because it's manageable, not because I'm trying to get like the quickest easiest way to you know get right. abs or something like that and i think that people need to understand that like everybody's just so obsessed with like i want a six-pack i want you know huge biceps and all this stuff and it's like just you know find a way to look your best and you may not ever have a six-pack i'm not i'm almost 40 like not gonna have a six-pack i'd love to but it's just probably not in the cards for me yeah that's cool that's fine it's kind of funny that you said that people are dunking on him for looking average but i mean this really goes to show you that, like i don't say propaganda but the people that are put in front of us um they're so out of reality um when you see people who are all shredded up diced and huge um there's a very very big likelihood that they're on performance enhancing drugs 
um people have major fucking body what? image issues oh yeah yeah what? <laughs> but like you know no it's way. like it's not that it's not real the chance to see somebody that looks like ronnie coleman like okay so the lady that owns the gym that i go to is literally an axe and sledge um sponsored athlete like she is an ifbb pro and to see somebody like that is like seeing somebody that's seven foot seven foot tall that's how rare genetics like that are now granted she is on performance enhancing drugs but like somebody that is like naturally huge that's like ronnie coleman when you look up pictures of him natural or mike o'hearn back when he was like 14 or 15 once again their genetics are about as rare as somebody that's seven feet tall that's how often you see somebody that's like diced and could stay lean and looks fantastic all year round for the vast majority of people if you just get like hey i have some definition in my stomach and i have i can lift a decent bit of weight i look okay you're probably doing better than the, va- the vast majority of people so like here in the u.s the average guy weighs or the average guy is 5'9 194 pounds and can't lift 300 pounds he can't even bench press more than like 150 pounds um the average guy is it's not that hard to be better than average and that's i think anybody can achieve better than average by just giving a little bit of a fuck and that's why i get so annoyed with people who just like want to make excuses after excuses like look to be not average is so freaking easy and it just requires you just step it up a curve this high but if you don't want to do it then you could sit there and cry in your mom's basement or cry that nobody likes you nobody cares about you and that the world's out to get you but the fact is it's probably just you yeah, the thing that kind of bugs me with Ryan is like people would rather dunk, like spend their time dunking on him than like, just like finding self improvement. Yeah. Like just giving that, like you say, caring a little bit more about themselves and being like, you know what, I'm just going to do this little thing and it's going to improve my life a little bit. But now nah, I'd rather trash the the Instagram guy or the YouTube guy who's just trying to trying to improve himself a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah. I don't know. I think you're right though. Like people. The, the people who tend to do that are the people who do feel bad about themselves for whatever reason. And for me, I just look at people like that and I'm just like, I hope you find like an inner peace and, you know, some way to just make yourself feel happy and have it be like organic and a natural happiness. But mm. hopefully they find it. Yeah. Corey. What are you smirking for? <laughs> no reason. Yeah. You got no, something I... in your head. No. <laughs> I <laughs> actually don't know. Um, no, I know you have nothing in your head. <laughs> confirmed. Yeah, I can confirm that. Yeah, I can confirm that. Oh, man. Hey, this, this, one, this one, it's like working with this guy, Cal. It's just constant. Constantly. Yeah. So I entitled the uh, show The Revival because I feel like what you guys' show is about is mostly like a revival of, um, you know, seeing yourself anew which um, you know, you guys invited me on, and I really appreciate that to tell kind of my story. And I really do feel like what I went through, not that it was like bad or hard or anything like that, but like losing the 70 pounds that I lost, now I'm up, I don't want to say back around there, because I'm not. I, I gained like 30 pounds a little bit quicker than I probably should have. But like, you know, I, I do look a lot better than what I did you know, all those years back. But like losing 70 pounds and going through the whole nutrition journey, um, and even changing the way that I felt about myself was very, very illuminating and like very enlightening. Um, so I guess, um, Corey, I'll start with you. Like, 
for your whole life and kind of like the theme of your podcast, what do you feel like was like a revival or you kind of killing your inner self to become somebody better? What was that like for you? And kind of like, what, what is that arc? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Josh and I both have our own second stories and that's, that's kind of where this all stems from. Uh, for me, I would say I've had, I, we all have pivotal moments in our lives, but the one that's kind of defining for me, at least from a career perspective was, uh, I was working in a kind of a high paid job that I hated. Right. And I got to a point where I was coming home daily and didn't want to even talk to my family. Like my kids, my wife, all I wanted to do was just climb into bed, put the covers over my head and not talk to anyone that that's where I was at because I was just that unhappy. I was, I was extremely depressed. Um, and yeah, a few things kind of serendipitous happen that got me out of that job, but it took me, um, kind of taking taking a step and going, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself. There's something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always wanted to be into video production. So I just stepped out and and just did it, man. Like I just, instead of saying, I want to do this, I want to do this, this is where I want to be. I said, this is what I am. And I stepped out and I did it. So um yeah, for me, I would say that was my big, like, second story from a career perspective. And I guess I've got, like, over the years, having having done that and built a business and, and kind of, you know, been in this realm where I've been telling everyone's stories, like, mm-hmm. for a business, that's what I do. Um, it just kind of made sense for us to go down this path where we're... Uh, networking with people, meeting new people and telling their stories and trying to find inspiration for other people to kind of do what, what I did because I got out of like a real, real, real dark spot in my life Mm. and, um, came out when you think like, uh, Shawshank redemption, right? I I crawled through a tunnel of shit and came out clean on the other side. Mm. Um, that's, that's sort of, my story and what I want to do is, is help others along their journey and inspire others. Um, but I think part of the way to do that is to bring other people in with inspirational stories and get that out to the world. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I've always found that I think whatever movement you're going to do, whether it be political, um, you know, health and nutrition, or you name it, I really think that people do need to lead by example and you need to be somebody that's worthy of that influence, right? So um, in the libertarian world where Josh and I kind of inhabit, um, I really think that you need to be somebody that's worthy of looking up to for people to want to embody the same values as you. Um, You know, if I was 300 pounds and couldn't lift a weight, how would I look telling people how to be healthy? Right. I mean, right. I, I quote tweeted a picture of uh, Michael Grieger, who's a plant based doctor. He's written all these books and he's just a complete total plant based shill and he doesn't look good at all. And he's writing books about how not to die, how to be healthy and stuff like this. But like, 
dude, you look awful. You're 51 years old. Um, <laughs> you're a twig. Um, you're you're balding, and you, you don't look good at all. So, like, who are you to tell me or anybody else how to get healthy? Not to say that like looks are the only thing that matters, but like clearly there's something missing here. He has like a big old pot belly too. So, like, I don't know. You can't take people like that seriously. Um, Josh, what would be kind of like the pivotal moment for you? I know you kind of detailed out a decent bit of your like back pain journey, but um, was there anything else kind of that got got a fire under your ass to reinvent yourself yeah i i kind of had like two really pivotal moments sort of close to one another um so when i was 25 my father passed away um died of brain cancer pretty uh pretty quick pretty i mean it was a very traumatic six month period um and uh right after he passed away i basically I was working, I was kind of like Corey, I was working a job I really didn't like. It was a high paying job, you know, something I thought I would be in the rest of my life, just, you know, making money, kind of working a job I'm not a fan of. And uh, I went on a real like personal discovery for like a good, I don't know, maybe nine months or so. And at the, at the end of it, I kind of came out and I was like, I, I got to change everything about my life. And I started what most people would think was like a big start. It was actually like a small thing for me um, was quitting smoking just making like health changes in my life immediately. I was like, my dad died of cancer. I know it was brain cancer. He never smoked a day in his life, but I was like, I'm going to make that change. And just that's going to give me confidence. I'm going to make a whole lot of other changes. Um, so that was kind of the step one of my pivotal change in my life. But the real defining moment of my life and Corey would most likely agree with this was when I met my wife. Um, I was like, I don't want to say I was like a real piece of shit before I met her, <laughs> but um slick i was certainly hair. i did not have, i did not have slick <laughs> come <hair. laughs> yeah what is sloppy that sloppy steaks uh, sloppy steaks yeah i'm real uh, uh i think you should leave Corey. um yeah yeah uh so like when i met when i met my wife i i did really i you know i was starting to get my stuff together but i really had a long way to go and um i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life um i had started actually i'd started writing this but it was one of those things where like I just didn't have the discipline to like continue doing it. It was like one of these things that I just threw on a pile with all the other things that I started and never completed. And you know, when I went, met my wife, she saw something in me. She's like, you know, you're you're so creative, you're so good at talking to people. People like you for some weird reason. It's like there's a lot of things that you could do. I don't get it. You know, present company excluded um so like there's a lot of things that you can do there's a lot of places you can go and you can be the person that you want to be and you can be that person around me and she accepted me for for who i am and you know we fell in love and my life completely changed uh it actually it led to me reconnecting with Corey because we had we had not seen each other for nine years um yeah. and he he came to my wedding and actually shot the wedding and it was actually the start of his film his uh film company and uh, it was obviously the start of my marriage, but that was sort of the moment that him and I reconnected. And my wife was like a big part of making that happen. And uh, she's always been there to just push me to do things because she's the one who's, who's always seen the potential. And, you know, there's this line that I forget. It might have been Alex Hermosi who said it, but he's like, you should have people in your life who see bigger things for you than you do. And that's my wife to a T. She sees my life is bigger than I ever could. And she's the one who's, you know, push me to put a book out, push me to keep putting books out, push me to, you know, I write 
for a living. I, I write hockey. You know, she pushed me to do that. She pushed me and Corey to do the podcast. She put, she just is somebody who's just everything she's done for me has changed my life. And I have two absolutely gorgeous little girls because of her. And I live, you know, a pretty damn good life. And I would attribute like 99% of it to her. So she's my second story. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, I, Corey, I guess I'll throw it over to you and then we could probably wrap on this. Um, what, so let's say, where should people begin if they want to kind of reinvent themselves? Like, what do you think in your mind would be something that would make you know that like something has to change? Like what would be the one button that in your mind would push to tell you that like, I, I got to do something. I think uh, anytime that someone's going through kind of what I went through as far as like, you know, dark, I think, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not like I, the whole time I was going through my depression period that I wasn't like, like, I know, I knew there was something wrong. I knew, like, it's not like I, I was like, fuck, I want to be an asshole <laughs> to my family and not talk yeah. to them. Like, like the whole time I'm like, what's like, what is wrong? Like, everything is good in my life. So what's wrong with me right like like why what's making this happen and it's not it's not as simple as like uh the job right like switching the job wasn't a thing what what i think changed for me was that belief in myself um so when i was able to kind of make that switch in my mind where it was like it's not uh, it, it's actually quite simple that uh, wanting for things is very uh very draining on you but going after things is actually very fulfilling for you right so for me to be able to just switch and go you know what this is what i am this is what i'm going for this is this is i need to start taking steps towards those things that was kind of what helped me and I'd like to say that I did that on my own, but I, I mean, it does take, like Josh said, it takes those people around you. Um, you got to be willing to take the help. So obviously my wife, my wife actually, um, at the time that I was going through it, she was very supportive. But then at one point she said to me, like, almost like an ultimatum, not that she was leaving, but she was like, you're not you. So something's got to change or we're going to change. Right. Like, um, and that, that kind of kicked me in the ass a little bit and made me go, you know what, you're right. Something does have to change. So I got to start taking these concrete steps. Um, what was your question? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. How does somebody, yeah, I, how does somebody know or yes. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think yeah. you encapsulate it pretty well. Um, I think you, I think you do always know. It's just, it's just a matter of like what, what steps decision. can I take toward? Yeah, what conscious moves can I make towards the thing that I want? Mm. So, all right. I was saying to you, Josh, what would, uh, what would, what would be a tell for uh, you, or what would be a tell if somebody came up to you and asked you for a, you know, like, hey, I think, it, like, they're having a rough time. What would be the tell that you would kind of tell them yeah like i i know for me that you know when i would feel at my lowest it would always feel like i'm you know i'm not at rock bottom but i'm i'm 
on the way there. And that would always be the thing that sort of incentivized me to kind of pull myself up and sort of correct things in my life. Um, and for a lot of people, that's what it is. Like a lot of people are stuck in jobs that aren't that bad or relationships that really aren't that bad. And they're like, I'll just ride this thing. out. It's really not that bad. And I think that's really something that is not great in life. Um, that can lead to you actually getting to rock bottom if you sort of let it fester in your life. Um, so like for somebody, if like if you notice a problem in your life, it, if you know, if it's something that subconsciously you are aware of, then you, it's probably time to make corrections. I think a lot of people just let it sit. And that's why, you know, people develop certain issues in their life. Um, yeah, and like I say, I know for me that, you know, I was aware of what my problems were. I just almost needed somebody to point them out. But I'm not, I was maybe not necessarily the person to get up and go. There are a lot of people out there who will just get up and go on their own and they'll go on a redemption arc by themselves. Into the, and those people I'm in awe of, the ones that are sort of self-starters. And I'm unfortunately not one of those. Doesn't sound like Corey is either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, being like, if somebody is a self-starter and they're able to do that, that's like a, an incredible redemption story to, to mm -hmm. hear about. Um, but yeah, generally you, you are going to need help. And I think, you know, we, we're like really conscious of mental health, especially nowadays. And, you know, a lot of people say like, it's woke or whatever. I actually think talking your problems out is super helpful. Like Corey and I have some very deep conversations and I have a few friends and obviously my wife as well that we have very deep conversations and I try to really instill that in my kids. Like you talk to me about things. Um, and I think people really need to talk their way through their own, you know, their own story. And if they want to become a success story, they need a lot of things. They need moral support. They need advice. They need mentorship. And they need people who, like I said about my wife, they need somebody who wants better for them than they want for themselves. So surround yourself with people like that. And I think you'll, you'll be able to create your own, your own story. Beautiful. I think for, I think for me, like depression wasn't my disease. Complacency was. Yeah. Yeah, well, right. I, I don't think we're built to be sedentary or kind of stagnate. I think we are built to struggle to a large degree. And you're not meant to be happy. You're meant to, your discontent is meant to get you to the next state, right? Like you're Ooh. only miserable or you're not feeling right because you're not doing, right? So the happiness for us is in the doing and is in the struggle. And that stuff is very necessary for us to feel like we're actually doing something. Can we end with a wrestling quote? Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so in in professional wrestling, so WWE or AEW, there's this expression, and it's for you know wrestlers that are always going after the championship, but they never get it. And mm -hmm. the expression for those guys is that the money's in the chase, because mm -hmm. that's where they make their money, right? It's like getting close but never quite getting it. And that's what a lot of life is, right? Yep. A lot of life is just the chase and that's where you're going to get a lot of your satisfaction and a lot of the thrills in your life is you chasing after something. And I think as soon as you have nothing to chase after in your life, that's where, like Corey said, you get complacent. And I think that's where a lot of people develop a lot of problems is that they don't have that thing that they're going after and to throw it back to a heat, the movie quote, Al Pacino says, all I am is what I'm chasing. Hmm. That's not what all I am is, but it's a, it's a great quote and it's, and it's good. No, nah, dude, it works. It works. Um, you guys go ahead. Uh, give your plugs. Corey, you go first. Um, everywhere people could find you, keep up with what you're doing, how they support you. 
Yeah, so uh, my business is Frameworks Media, so you can find that on Frameworks underscore media. Um, and then, of course, uh, Josh and I are doing the podcast, Second Story Pod. Uh, is that our tag, Second Story Pod? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Second Story Pod, so you can find that on Instagram. Uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you can get your podcast. so please go and check that out. We're on TikTok, too. Oh, and TikTok, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Josh. Chicken and talking. Yeah, so obviously Second Story Pod. I also have a book, Second Story Work. Uh, it's available on Amazon. There's also on Audible. The audiobook is available. It is also available as a podcast called Second Story Work, the novel. I think it's about halfway through right now. So every week on Wednesday, there's a new episode out. So if you want to listen to it for free, go listen to it. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all those fun things. And then I'm on Twitter, author Jay Sabalski. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at author Josh Sabalski. Beautiful. Well, uh, guys, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm glad we got to do this. So we'll definitely have to set something up again sometime in the future, whoever, wherever. And yeah, if you guys have anything else, we will close her out. Awesome. Thanks for having us, dude. Thanks, Kyle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.